You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mzbcstudents. Tug of war rope back just to remind us what we're talking about. I'm going to put some of this over here. A little of that. That. Yeah, we'll throw that down there. All right. Uh, you're going to need a Bible that you can look at with your eyeballs. Um, so if you, don't, if you have a, a phone or whatever that you're going to use as a Bible, that's cool. Uh, go to the book of Galatians. If you have a phone that doesn't have a Bible app on it, Google Galatians, and it will help you. And if you do not have a phone, then, um, hey, uh, Quinn and, like, your whole, like, crew there, can you all grab some Bibles and, like, walk around and hand them to people who take them from you? Um, like, like, take the whole, like, stand up, like, take it and walk over here and then hand it to people who need one. Okay, and, uh, like, AJ and y'all, can y'all do some of that too? Can y'all, can y'all grab those Bibles and hand them out as needed? Um, for our people who want one. So we got to start with where we were last week. This is a, this is a part two of a message So junior high. I know you're coming in having um, not been here for part one, which is okay. We're going to catch you up. And uh, some of you high school students might not have been here last week either, because I know this time of year is crazy for you and that you've got sports stuff constantly. And it's just, it's a rough time of year. So um, I appreciate you guys being here. This is going to be, uh, so we kind of need to have one of those moments, you know, when your favorite TV show takes a break for like the winter or something and it comes back and then the, it begins with previously, right? Previously in greenhouse. This is where we were last week. We're in Galatians chapter five, verses uh, 15 and 16. I think that's right. And uh, or maybe it's 16, 17. I think it's 1617. And, um, and what we were talking about was, was basically that you are currently engaged in a tug of war. Like whether you realize it or not, there's a tug of war going on inside of you, a war within your very self. Whether you realize it or not, like you're, you're, you are this rope. And there are two things tugging at you, pulling at you, trying to take you where they want you to go. All right, so on the one side, the, the passage sets up for us that there's the, the spirit of God, that if you're a Christian in the room, that God has given you his spirit, that his spirit uh, is with you and in you, and, and the spirit's goal is to, is to be on this end of the rope over here. Look at me. It's to be on this end of the rope, on this side, pulling you towards God. The, the spirit of God is in you and with you, and its desire is to, is to draw and direct you toward God. And all that's, that's good for you and all that's best for you. The spirit is on this side pulling you toward the, um, the way that you want to go as a Christian. Now, if you're um, on the other side of you, the other side of things, you have a very present enemy. There's an enemy that's not external to you. There's an enemy that's not distant and that's like acting upon you. There's an enemy inside you. There's an enemy that's in there that is warring against the spirit of God in you. It's an enemy inside you warring against the spirit of God. And what that is, tugging on this end of the rope, is the old you. The old you, the old way of life, the old person, the person you would have been apart from Jesus. And the person you would have been apart from Jesus does not desire what God would desire for you. It has its own kind of desires. And it's over here tugging you away from God and toward a whole bunch of behaviors that ultimately lead to your destruction. 
The old self is, de- is in here p- tugging on this rope, pulling you away from the way that you want to go towards God and pulling you back toward your old sin. It's all, it's, it is desires the same as everybody's desires. This sinful, broken, dark, messed up stuff that all of us uh, still have inside of us. So in you, there is a war. War between two parts. There's a, there's a spirit of God in you that's trying to draw and pull you towards God. And there's the old self, that old part of you still in there, that's trying to draw you back toward sin. And you feel this every day. You feel this tug of war inside you in every moment where you're constantly having to, having to choose which side you are going to allow to win in that moment. Is the old way going to win? Or is, or is the new you, the, the person you are in Christ, is the, is the leader, leadership of the Spirit of God going to draw you toward God? Are you going to move towards God or are you going to move towards sin in every single moment? You're always in this war. So we talked about that and how that is the reality which we face day in, day out, and how it's exhausting, it's infuriating, but it's a reality that you live in and will always live in. So then in the next couple of verses, which we're going to look at tonight, Paul um, gives us a, a quiz of sorts, right? You ever seen those like BuzzFeed quizzes or like a, some sort of quiz like trying to figure out what kind of SpongeBob character you are, right? You like click the things and it like pops out. You're like, you're like the octopus looking guy or something. I don't know anything about SpongeBob, dude, right? I, I, I relate better to all the office. I, I remember taking one of these like online quiz things about which office character you are. I don't know if any of you watch the office. It's awesome. Um, good. Like three of us watch it and the rest of you are like SpongeBob, yay. Um, but so me and my office people, I remember taking one of these things and, and just inside there was all this angst because secretly I was so scared that this quiz was going to pop out and tell me I was Dwight. And like I was I un- unbeknownst to myself, I was secretly a weirdo and like I didn't know it, right? And I was gonna be, I was gonna be Dwight, but luckily I'm Jim. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and, uh, but you, 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 you know these quizzes, right? Where you answer the questions, you look at the way you behave or whatever, and it kind of tells you where, where you stand. So what this passage is gonna do for us this, this evening is gonna, is gonna take these two parts and, and these, this war within, and it's gonna tell us based on our behaviors where we stand. And when I come into that kind of quiz telling me if I'm standing with the old self, if I'm, if I'm allowing the old self to win, if that's an option, I'm secretly afraid that that's the truth. But we've got to be bold enough people to allow the word of God to evaluate us. And we've got to be bold enough to affirm what the word of God says about us. So the Spirit of God convicts you tonight through the Word of God that where you actually stand is not where you want to be standing, that you're aligned with the old self, that you're allowing this side to win the war. You need to be honest about that. You need to do something about it. So our passage begins in Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 19 through 24. We're going to take our self-evaluation quiz, all right? He's going to point out the products, the byproducts, the symptoms of two different kinds of life, of each of these two kinds of life. All right, verse 19. We're going to read the whole first list together. Then we're going to come back. We're going to take it apart bit by bit. All right, this is the first list. This is, this is the list of the old self. This is the list that's, that is a symptom of the, the old self winning the war within. All right. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. I'm saying like the, the, the symptoms of this old self, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, 
jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and other things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such thing will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are things, students, that every single one of us gravitate to. And it's not an exhaustive list. Like your thing may not be on the list, okay? But, but it's, it's representative of a lot of the things that you and I, just in our old self, in our old way of life, apart from Jesus, all of us are, are, are drawn to. There's a gravitational pull to these things and not a pull towards something that's good for you. Like, like that's the way our culture says a lot about a, a lot of things that we are drawn to. We're like, well, if you're drawn to it and you want to be a part of it, then maybe that's just okay for you because since you're drawn to it, can it really be that bad? Absolutely it can. This is the way this gravitational pull works in my head for these things. We are all pulled towards those things like a black hole pulls stuff in. All these things function like, like a black hole where there's this gravitational pull that wraps around us and is dragging us down into it to our destruction. Yes, you are drawn to those things, but you are not drawn to those things because they are in any way, shape, or form good for you. You're drawn to those things because like you're being drawn to your destruction. This list really divides up best, in the, in as, as far as I can see it, into three, three main categories. And so we're going to focus on each of those three categories, and there's kind of like a fourth that's just for like a half category sort of. So the first, the first category that, that Paul sets up out of the gate is sex. There's a sexual um, side of this, this gravitational pull towards things that is, is there um, not in a great way, not in a positive way, but in a way that leads to destruction. The first, the, the th- three things it has in that section is sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Now, what we're not going to do, I'm not going to stand up here and say, all right, so this, this has sexual immorality. And, and this, is a, this, is a, this is Britain's full exhaustive list of everything that counts as sexual immorality. I don't have time for that. Um, and I'm not the authority on that. God is. So, so this, is, this is how we're going to do this. Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, like you've got to remember here, God has given you his spirit and he's given you his word. And for a lot of things like this, you can use the spirit of God and the word of God to direct you in the way that you should go. So let's just try it. Let's try this. What does the spirit of God inside of you have to say about what your boundaries should be in a physical sense in your dating relationship? What does the spirit of God, of God say about physical boundaries in your dating relationship? Does it, does like some, some immediate things come into mind? Like, hey, clearly God would not think that's okay. Clearly God would set a line about here and everything past that's clearly out of bounds. You know it, don't you? That's why this works. Like there's this, this instinctual thing where the spirit of God inside of you just is like, no, 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 all, all of that, that is not for your good. Yeah, you're drawn to it like you're drawn to a black hole. That part's not for your good. This part, this is over here, this, this, is, this, is, what I, this is what I'm directing you towards. This is what I have for you. This is what is good and honorable and, and growth or is what, this is what I want. We know, like almost immediately, you know when I ask you that question in that way, the way you should go. So think about specific behavior. So think about that. Is, is, is that behavior one that, that God would, would invite you into and draw you into in a dating relationship? Or is that one where um, you and your passions and your old self are just uh, enticed by? If you're enticed by a behavior, that's this side of things. If God has something for you, if God would invite you into something, that's over here. So as far as sexual immorality goes, what, what does the Spirit of God and the Word of God have to say in your life practically about sexual immorality? 
What in your life right now would not count as sexual morality in a dating relationship? So we move toward those things. So it's saying, so everything else, out of those bounds, out of the things that if all the stuff that we've been enticed to that God wouldn't invite us into, where the spirit of God disagrees with, and you somewhere, if you're being real honest, you're feeling comfortable with, all of that goes over there on the list under sexual morality. I don't, need to, I don't need to spell it out for you. I don't need to give you a checklist. You know what goes on that list under sexual morality. You just do. Let me ask you a different question. This one's going to be um, harder for some of you to be honest about. Because, um, uh, frankly, your culture is trying really hard to tell you a truth that disagrees with the truth of God's word. Um, And you're going to have to fight real hard to be honest with this one. What does the spirit of God and the word of God say inside of you about the practice or the acceptability of homosexuality? Now what your culture says, now what your favorite celebrity says. What does the word of God and the spirit of God say about the practice and the acceptance of homosexuality? It's a different question. Sexual morality, impurity, and the third thing it says is sensuality. Sensuality is not a word that you probably said today. So we're going to talk about what exactly that means. So sexuality, sensuality, it means unrestrained sexual indulgence. That's what sensuality means. Unrestrained sexual indulgence. Your culture is basically defined by that. The, the, The world that you live in is pretty much built around that concept of sensuality. It's un, just unrestrained sexual indulgence. You just do whatever. If you, if, if, you can, if you can get there, go there. My, the spirit of God inside me does not agree with that. What I read in God's word does not ag- agree with that. So what it then feels like is that the culture that I now live in is enticing me towards a behavior and really a worldview that doesn't agree with what God's word has to say. And Paul right here puts that kind of thing, just this unrestrained sexual appetite over on the sensuality side. And it's on a list of behaviors that indicate that in the war within you, you're losing. You're losing. I've read too many blogs and I've read too many articles and I've seen too many Tumblr posts telling me and you that if I feel drawn to a behavior, especially in a sexual sense, then I should indulge that behavior. That's, that, that, that's okay, that's, that's right, and that's acceptable for me because I feel drawn to it, therefore I should, I should embody it. That's not what my God has to say about this. That's not what the Spirit of God inside me agrees with. That's not what God's Word holds up. That's over here in the list of sexual morality and purity and sensuality. Those are symptoms of the fact that you're losing the war within. If that's, who, if that's where you're at, man, if there's, if there's sexual immorality in your life right now, if there's impurity in your life right now, if there's sensuality in your life right now, unrestrained sexual indulgence, that's a symptom showing an internal problem that you are siding with the old self and that you're not fighting along with the Spirit of God to move in the direction of Christ. It's a symptom of an internal problem. The second one 
The list gets, uh, list moves on. The, sec- the next two things it has is idolatry and sorcery. I don't think any of you are sorcerers in here. If, if you are, then we should hang out later and you should like show like Spelliama something for me. That'd be cool. Um, but <clears throat> what the, the reason those two words are in, in this line of things, I know this might seem a little out of place, this is, this is how those two go together. This is how idolatry and sorcery go together. Back then, both of those, um, and, and even now, both of those, are, they function as a man-made religion. All right, now stick with me here, okay? Both of these are like human-invented things. Like something that's, that, that God did not come up with so that people came up with. It's, it's man-centered, it's man-made religion. It's replacing God with something else. Now, I, I know you're not a bunch of sorcerers, but you are... Um, you are enticed by that first one, that idolatry. And let me tell you what I think you're enticed by under idolatry. I think you're enticed by um, yourself. See, another thing that characterizes uh, the generation that starts with me and extends through you guys, it's gonna stop with like 12 year olds and we don't know what we're gonna do with them. But, but you're the like junior high people, you're the youngest millennial. I'm like almost the oldest millennial. And so we're technically at, in the same generation together. Our generation invented a word called selfie. Like, can we be more narcissistic than that? Can we be more self-involved than that? I don't know if we can. I mean, like people write about this, like how at no other point in history have there been people who think that they are so important as us. That, that nothing else matters above what we want, and what, not we, actually, what you want. Like in each of our little worlds, everything revolves around us. Like when we look out at people, they are to be used by us for our good. Like they are not as important as us. Every single one of us think that everybody else is less. We can't all be right, right? But our world just like focuses so heavily on us and our good and everything you hear from advertisers and everybody else tells you that if you want something, if you need something, then sweetie, you better get it because you matter most. That's idolatry. See, what we've done there is we've taken God off his throne and we've set you up on his throne. That's idolatry. That's narcissism. Matthew 16, 25 doesn't agree with that. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says that whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Think about it this way. Whoever, whoever would save his old way of life, like this, this life, with all the things that you want, with all the things that you desire, all the things that, that you're enticed towards, all the behaviors that you want to get to indulge in so you can express your freedom or whatever. Like if, you, if you're going to save that life, you're going to lose this life spent with God. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that if you're going to save this old way of life, you're going to lose the life that's possible spent with God. You're going to lose it. And he says that if you will lose that life, you will gain a life with him. But what that means is it's the opposite of idolatry. It's the opposite of you being most important. You're literally saying that what I want, what I desire is less important than what God wants and God's desires. So I'm going to stand over here. I'm going to let go of my old self, my old desires, and I'm going to replace them with God's. It's the opposite of thinking you're important. It's saying that God's will for your life is more important. If you're a Christian in the room, that's what you've committed your life to. 
So if you're still over here and you are most important in your wants and your desires, you, it's all about you, then you are trading that old life and you're losing the new one. It's idolatry. The third section is on relationships. Does this not describe middle school and high school? Look at this. Like, put your eyes on it. It's uh, like the third word in verse 20. Galatians 5, verse 20. Does this not describe middle school and high school? The first word is enmity. means infighting. It means fighting, basically. Like, not fist fighting, but relationship discord. The next is strife. Basically means the same thing. Next word is jealousy. Does that characterize people in your school? Does that characterize you? Fits of anger. You been there recently? Rivalries. <laughs> Dissensions. Divisions. That's like the biblical word for cliques. Like we are better than them. They don't get to talk to us. And last, envy, wanting to be somebody else. It's literally like that whole goals thing, where like on Instagram, like there's somebody with a prettier dress than you and you write goals. That's just a complimentary way to express envy. Does that not describe our junior high and high school adults? Does that not describe us? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And for us, that's just normal life. That's just survival. Every day you walk into your school and that jealousy thing wells up, that envy thing wells up. And you go sit with your people under your division and your dissension. And you angle yourself against these other people who are like, like at one time we used to be tight and then that one person said something to this other person about that boy I liked two years ago and I'm dead to them now, right? Like if that's what you are about, if those things in that list are what you're about, I need you to know those things are a symptom that your old self is winning the war within. That every day you allow that to continue in your way of life. I know everybody else is doing it around you, but every day, every moment that you continue to walk in those ways, you are choosing to allow the old self to win the war within. That should not describe you. It can describe your school, but it should not describe us as Christians. The last one, it's the last two words in this list of symptoms of this old life. So the last two, li- the, the last two words in the list are uh, drunkenness and orgies. It's basically taking, taking things to their extreme excesses. So we'll talk, we'll talk about the first one first, uh, drunkenness. Drunkenness, um, so, you know, scriptures, we, we know this, you know this. Like, what does the spirit inside you say about drunkenness? You know that's wrong, right? You just know. The scripture is very, very clear that drunkenness is completely out of bounds for Christians. But let me ask you this. Recognizing that scripture says it's completely out of bounds for Christians, what does your community say about it? What does your school say about it? What does your culture say about it? That it's not just acceptable, but that it's almost mandatory. You know some of the heart, most heartbreaking things that I've had to do as a student minister? Is, is go and sit with, with teenagers who have somehow or another gotten caught 
being involved in like y'all's party scene, right? And their social world and all world basically comes to an end and they end up in my office, which is awkward for everybody. And we hang out together. And then I'm like, well, dude, what? so what happened? Why don't, you, know, you know this is wrong. What are you doing? Like, I, I, I know it's wrong, man. But listen, if I want to have a social life at all, I've got to be there. If, I'm, if I want to have friends, I've, that's what I've got to do. That's heartbreaking for me. Because what I can see in that moment, I'm sitting there in my office, I'm looking at a teenager, and I can almost see like all of their friends, their little community, and everything that goes on around here in Monrovia on this end of the rope, just dragging them away from the way that they actually want to go. That's literally what's happening. The people that you're around, that culture that you're in, that... that um, relaxed attitude toward underage drinking and just full out craziness is a, is a symptom that there's something wrong, man. If you found yourself in that, you gotta be honest about what the symptoms say. You can't, you can't have one foot in this world and be living like that and just say, yeah, I, I love Jesus with this area of my life and this one thing, I gotta have friends, so I'm gonna be over here on Friday and Saturday. Does that, make, that's, that, doesn't, my, that doesn't make sense. And the last one, you kind of snicker at, right? It's orgies, right? It's a weird thing to say in a microphone to junior high students. Um, it seems laughable until, <laughs> until you think about the epidemic of internet pornography addiction in our generation. And then it's not funny anymore. And it's not funny anymore. I read, um, I have a bunch of little newsreader apps on my phone. I'm a big news junkie. I read a lot of news stuff every day. And, and almost every day, something will come across my newsfeed um, talking about the insanely awful effects that internet pornography is having on uh, our, our generation. The people who um, know how to work devices well enough to hide their tracks. The people who aren't going to get caught people who don't have to tell anybody and they're just going to keep it inside and no one's going to know. And that they write about the effects that this stuff has on um, your mind and on all relationships around you where all relationships grow colder than the way they're supposed to be because people have been objectified and it's just, it just screws up your brain. And so if relationships are being messed up, what's also being messed up is one of the most important relationships you're ever going to have in your entire life is with your future spouse. I know you're not married, but you're damaging your marriage now. You're building up mistrust. You're building up scar tissue on your heart. And your marriage is going to suffer because there's a symptom of an internal problem. And it's owning you. Not only are you hurting your future marriage, um, but by damaging the trust of that future marriage, you're damaging the, the home that your kids are going to grow up in. If that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what does. This internet pornography thing is this beautifully crafted weapon of, in, of, of, of the enemy. Satan has given us this um, attack, which is addictive, it's anonymous, and it's so easily available. Like if, could you dream up a better weapon against us than that? I can't. He did a great job. So when we get to the end of the list and we get to the funny word, 
It's not funny anymore. That stuff is toxic. It's eating you alive. It's like a cancer that you know is there, and instead of running from it, every day you just go over and you just devour more of it and shove as much of that cancer inside of your body as you possibly can, and then you just hope that life is going to be the way that God intended it to be, and it's eating you alive. These are the symptoms that, that Paul gives us in Galatians 5 of losing the war. There's a war going on inside of you. There's, a, there's, there's your old self, the side, the side of us that, that Christ died to set free, the, the side that, God, that, that Jesus died on a cross to, to redeem us from. And instead of running away from it, we're allowing it to drag us down into all sorts of awful to our destruction. These are the symptoms of that kind of life. You got to be honest about the symptoms. Now, on the other side of things, he gives us another list. These don't take as much explanation. The symptoms or the, the results of a life lived in the Spirit start in verse 22. It says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, that old way of life, with its passions and desires. It says that when we crucify that old way of life, we get this other life that looks like this. That's why I wanted you to be able to look at your Bible. I want you to like put your eyes on those two lists. Look at that, man. Look at this second list. Love. Do you, do you want to get to experience real love in your life? Like not just romantic love, but, but friend, like between friends and between your kids. Like, do you want to get to experience real love? Like the kind of love that God intended for you to have? Do you want to get to experience the love relationship with the God of the universe that he died for you to have? Do you want to get to experience that? Do you want a life characterized by love? Then you've got to have a life that's crucified that old way of life. Do you want to have life that's characterized by joy? Does that, does that first, look at that first list. Does anything on that list look like joy to you? Does the enmity, does the strife, does the dissensions in your school, does the jealousy and the envy, does any of that look like joy? Does the sexual immorality, does the impurity, the sensuality, does that sound like joy to you or does that sound like adrenaline? Because those are different. Do you want to get to experience joy? I, I'm, I think one of the reasons are like, man, so many of us walk around, never really get to experience joy in our lives is because we've been so eaten up by our, our old selves. I want to get to experience joy. Peace, man. Every time I talk to a teenager, how's life, man? Oh, it's, it's good. And no, no, for real, how's, how's life? Um, it's, it's hard. School's crazy. Family's nuts. Sports are, my coach cusses at me a bunch. I don't know, man. It's just his life, right? Life's supposed to be terrible. <laughs> that's the way, that's my interaction with you. Like when I talk to you, like, How's life? And life is terrible. There's no peace. Is that the way you want to live your life? I want to get to experience peace. I want to get to experience real peace, resting in the fact that I have a God who has handled all of this and that it's taken care of and that he's in control. And my job is just to love him as best I can. That's peace. All that mess over there on that end of the list is not peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Do you want to get to enjoy that kind of life? 
I do. So what do you do? First, let me tell you what you don't do. Our, our, our initial reaction is to, is to be stronger, be more diligent to trick ourselves out of sinning or something and just be hosses and better people. And that's not gonna work. You trying harder is not the answer. Yeah, effort's gonna be involved, but that's the wrong direction. See, I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think about being like a little kid at a, at a birthday party, okay? You're like eight years old, you're at a birthday party in somebody's backyard and uh, there's, some, there's some parents or adults or whatever running around and not, not running around, they're standing around and uh, the kids are running around everywhere and, um, and you're just kind of minding your own business. All of a sudden, that big mean kid shows up and he's got like the biggest water gun you've ever seen in your whole life and you pee your pants just a little bit right then and there because you've got on your nice clothes you don't get, want to get water gunned. You don't have a water gun, so what are you gonna do? You got nothing to fight with you can't, you can't water gun him back. You don't have some like awesome shield or something because you're eight and why would you? I don't know. You got nothing. So instead of standing there and like trying to fight with nothing to fight with, what you do, what all little kids know instinctively to do is to turn and run. And they don't just run aimlessly. They run to whatever adult brought them there. If it's mom or dad or like cousin Sue or whatever, right? They just take off running and they go get behind them. And that adult gives them that eye and the kid with a giant water gun goes away. Let me tell you, students, I, I've got a three-year-old kid, right? If, if I had a three-year-old, um, if little, you know, you guys clear out of here and, and, and Jack, my three-year-old's name Jack, if Jack comes running through that door and he's got a look on his face, like he's actually scared, like something is literally after him. Um, and he came and ran and said, he, if he said the words, he's trying to get me, and he came and hid behind me, I don't care if Satan himself walked through that door, I'm going to end him, okay? Like, because I'm daddy. I'm gonna shut it down, all right? You have a heavenly father. Listen, look at me. You have the God of the universe who has adopted you as his son or his daughter, who he loves perfectly. And he has said that if you will just run to him and hide behind him, that he will fight for you and the full force of the God of the universe will shut it down. So instead of you running to try harder, you need to run to your savior. You need to spend as much effort as you possibly can getting to know him and enjoying him and having the most intimate possible relationship hit with him you can. And the rest of it's going to handle itself. You need to be spending time with God daily in his word, just devouring his word, enjoying it and searching it for truth. You need to be spending time in prayer continually, not like would you like pray for your dinner with your family or something. I'm talking about like constantly just talking with and being honest with God through prayer. You need to worship regularly. Man, any of you, you don't, don't raise your hand. Any of you ever like had a, ser a period of life where you couldn't, you stopped being able to come and worship together like this? But there was like, you started taking guitar lessons on Wednesday, like a dummy or something, and you couldn't come to Greenhouse for six months. What did that do to your soul? Yeah. You need to spend time with God daily. You need to spend time with him in prayer uh, continually. And you need to worship together as often as possible. You need to run toward Jesus and then let the behaviors sort themselves out. 
I've talked far too long. So we're going to have to have a little bit of abbreviated uh, small group time. Um, so leaders, you're going to have to work on that for me. I'm going to give you like 10 minutes or eight minutes. I'll give you eight minutes. So listen, students, shh, look at me. This is how we're going to game plan this. All that stuff at the beginning of your small group where you just goof off for the first five minutes, we're going to skip that. And then you're going to go to the real stuff. Cool? All right, junior high and senior boys, you're going to the Chapel Commons. Everybody else standing here, move quickly, grab your small group, sit down and get to work. Go, 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 go quick, go quick, go quick, go quick. Find your small group, grab a seat. No, senior, senior boys and junior high kids. <laughs> All junior high students are Chapel Commons. Everybody else staying here. Grab your seat. Hurry, 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 hurry.
He brought us out of the darkness and into the light. He brought us out of the darkness and into the light. He has lifted our blindness and he gave us his sight. He brought us out of the darkness and into the light. We sing, oh.
30 seconds. apologize if you're not having as much group time as you normally do. I'm sorry about that. Um, so if you, uh, last, last thing for tonight, if you are doing the devotion guides that Jessica's writing um, and helping her out with feedback on those things, she would love for you to do that. If you just want a good devotion guide, there's these two of these, they're legit. You should come grab one. There's 20 of them. That's it. So they're sitting right here. If you want to come get one, come get it. Uh, there are donuts in there. You should go eat them. See you. Good night. <laughs>